family from very, very rural Wyoming went to the big city. And uh, they stayed in a high-rise hotel that had a big brass elevator in the lobby. And the, the mother and daughter were standing there looking at this thing. Neither of them had any idea what it was. The, the daughter said, Mom, what is this? She says, I don't know. I don't know what this is. And just then an older, frumpy man in a robe with messy hair walks up, steps in the elevator, the door's shut behind him, and after about 30 seconds, the door's opened up again, and a handsome, muscular young man in tight workout clothes comes out. And the mother leans to her daughter and says, Girl, go get your dad. <laughs> Interesting things can happen when we run into something that we don't know about, or we don't know of, or we've never seen before. And we're finding that to be true for the disciples and all of the people in Israel at the beginning in the first century after the Holy Spirit came and crazy, I mean crazy things started happening. I mean, you know, some of you that were here last week, you thought that was a crazy thing that happened. And, you know, I mean, it kind of was. And, and I've mulled that over all week long, and I've thought about it, and I've talked to people, and it was a topic of conversation at our Bible study, and, and I know that people have been emailing and text messaging and talking about it and wondering about it, and I just have, I just have a couple things. Um, that was really funny. I, I saw that. I saw that uh, the back rows getting bombarded by stuff being tossed over from the balcony. Um, and an active little girl up there. Um, wow, where was my train of thought? <laughs> I, I just, a couple thoughts about um, last Sunday. Um, one is, and I, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the service, um, before we prejudge or we jump to conclusions about things, we need to just give it time. You know, we need to, we need to look at all the facts and, and, and hear people out. Um, we need to not just write off people because they think differently or they look differently or they act differently. I mean, honestly, we need, to, we need to love people and we need to be patient with people. But also, we need to, and, and in, in 1 John chapter 4, we're told that not all spirits are from God and that we are to test the spirits. And one of the things that's mentioned in that passage is we need to find out who they say Jesus is. And when she asked me, do you have any questions? I wish that had been my first question. Who do you say Jesus is? Because then we can get on a level playing field. And, and I can recognize if you truly do understand biblically and spiritually what God has said or what he hasn't. Um, I, I personally, as I've thought and I've prayed about this, and I've looked at the signs and I've visited with people and their interactions, um, number one, God protected us. I mean, we were, I, I never felt in danger. If you thought I did, I was startled on the front row. Um, but, but I never felt like I was in danger. Um, the second thing is that that, that that happened, and I've been telling people, whether it was intended for good or evil, um, God teaches us out of all things and allows things to occur in our life so that we can be taught. And, and if it did anything else, it showed us that as we go through a book that's talking about the things, supernatural things happening in the lives of the early church, it got us thinking literally about supernatural things. And to me, that's a win. 
It's a win. Um, but again, as, I, as I've, I've talked to people and that sort of thing, my conclusion, my personal conclusion is that, that though she claimed to be an angel of the Lord, um, I just didn't see it um, as, I, as I looked through all the signs. But what that did do, again, is it got us all talking about spiritual things and thinking about spiritual things. And church, we need to do that. We need to realize that the Holy Spirit is real and active in your life and in mine and and that God wants to change and transform the lives of all of us and all of the people that we come into contact with every day. And we need to trust him. And we need to recognize that he's going to do that in a spiritual way. So, last week we saw the disciples heal a man. Or, as they said, he was healed In the power of Jesus Christ, God healed him. They didn't. But it made a huge ruckus in Jerusalem. I mean, people are running, and and they're in the the temple, and this guy's like hanging on them, and he's leaping and running, and and people are coming, and and it, it, it catches the attention of a lot of people. And so my thought was, you know, in our culture today, news is big. News is big. Now, it's not always true, and... Honestly, if I've become awfully cynical about any news, quite honest, but, but I wondered um, what the, the major news organizations in Jerusalem and Israel would have said about these events that we've been looking at last week and that we're going to look at today. So this morning, we are going to look at the top eight headlines that, that would have appeared in the Jerusalem Gazette or, say, the, the Hebrew Tribune, or maybe um, the Bethlehem Telegram. I don't know what it would have been called. Whatever. You know, they didn't have social media. I don't even know. If, yeah, they had paper. Um, I don't know if they spent it like we do on newspapers. Uh, it was probably pretty expensive in that time. But what would have been the top eight headlines um, in their nation at that time? I've provided bullet points in your notes for, for these uh, eight. Actually, there's nine bullets, and I'll explain that later. But uh, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. And if you grab a Bible that's underneath your seat, or you need um, to look something, to, you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 1080. 1080 is Acts chapter 4, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now I want to stop there and if, if, if somebody was writing a, 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 an editorial piece or a journalistic piece on this, I think the title of this article would read, Gospel Proclamation Irks Religious Leaders. There, that one. I think that would be the title. Because they weren't happy. The priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. I mean, not much has changed in the establishment since the death and resurrection of Jesus, has it? They were greatly disturbed, it said. They They were weirded out about this. They were wondering what in the world is happening. And Part of this is happening because the, the Sadducees, um, they don't think the re- that resurrection is real. 
They don't think anybody can come back from death to life. That's one of the things that they believe. They couldn't come to grips with this. I mean, people don't just get off of, get out of their coffin and walk away. It doesn't happen. It's not a reality. And, but that's what the disciples were teaching everybody. The disciples were teaching everybody that Jesus, that Jesus Christ himself had risen from the dead. He was dead, he was crucified, he was put in a tomb, and then he, then he showed up. I mean, seriously, if somebody said that in our culture today, what would you think? What would you think? Think he's nuts, wouldn't you? To think that they were dead and in the grave, buried, and then they somehow came to life. We would have to find some other natural reason for that. And, and my wife and I were having a, this conversation the other day, and, I, and we thought, well, what if somebody were to come into our culture today claiming to be Jesus Christ? What would we say? Well, of course we would say they can't be Jesus Christ because he's already come. But, but to their credit, they were looking. They, this was prophesied. This was coming. They knew this was coming. They were looking for it. And then it happened. But for, for the, the Sadducees, just they weren't buying it. Now, I want to make some observations about who the Sadducees were. In the first century, the Sadducees, um, these religious leaders, they were aristocrats. Arista, I want to say aristocrats, but that's not right. They were aristocrats, um, often wealthy. They held powerful positions, including that of chief priest, high priest. They held the majority of the 70 seats of the ruling council, which is called the Sanhedrin. And they worked hard to keep the peace by agreeing with the decisions of Rome and then working it out within the church. They didn't want people rising up. They, Israel was under Roman control, and they wanted everybody just to get along. Can't we all just be friends? And they were doing what it took to make that happen. In fact, they seemed to be more concerned, the Sadducees, about political things, less concerned about spiritual and religious things. Um, Something else that's true about them, they were all wealthy upper class, and since they were the common folk, the, the, the middle class people and the lower class people, they, they didn't really like the Sadducees. I mean, you're telling us this stuff, but you're not living our life. You know, um, they, they didn't relate well, and history indicates that much of the time, they would often go along with the ideas of the Pharisees, even though they were the minority in the Sanhedrin, because the people liked the Pharisees more. They got along better with the Pharisees because they were more common. They were more average people. Now, these two groups didn't get along most of the time, except for one time, and that's when they both determined that Jesus needed to die. And they conspired to kill him. And we know that they did. Now, religiously, the Sadducees, if you can believe it, were more conservative in one area of doctrine. The Pharisees gave oral tradition Tradition. I'm not talking oral scripture. I'm talking oral tradition. The things that they've carried along all the way orally, they held those things as equal authority to the written word of God. The Sadducees said, no, the written word of God supersedes everything. And they were right. It does. All that we know personally and we learn is, is subject to what it says in the Bible. Now, they would especially say that the, the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, were um, the absolute authority 
and the written word of God. Now, at the same time, and, and this is what I find interesting about people. I, I mean, we can get things wrong. We can interpret something and, and not interpret it correctly. Um, and a lot of those things are kind of gray area issues, I believe. But there are certain things in Scripture that are absolutely black and white. Uh, case in point, people that think that they can predict when the earth is going to end, when, when Jesus is going to return. Eh, it's going to be this day. If you read the Bible, you would know that that's not even possible. Why would you even attempt it? Well, here I'm going to give you four, four things that the Sadducees believed that were actually contrary to the very word that they said they held high. The first one is this. They were extremely self-sufficient to the point of denying God's involvement in everyday life. God isn't concerned with everyday things. He, he doesn't concern himself with that. That's all up to us. We make all of those decisions, and we must be strong. And we would, I mean, we just sang songs. We're strong when what? When we're weak, when we surrender, when we, when we give ourselves up completely to the control of God and to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in our life. I mean, a, a, a place of pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency is not where he wants us. It's not the best place to be. But they believed that. The second thing that they believed was they denied any resurrection of the dead. It just couldn't happen. They couldn't get their, their heads wrapped around it. Which is one of the reasons for their clashes with Jesus. Because Jesus, what? He actually raised people from the dead. And then, of course, he himself rose from the dead. And I don't understand how you can read prophecy, you can read the Psalms, you can read the Old Testament, and not believe that one day, even though maybe I haven't seen it yet and seen it with my own eyes, that it has happened and it will happen. That Jesus was, in fact, telling the truth. Number three, um, they denied any afterlife. Really? They, they denied any afterlife, holding that the soul perished at death, and therefore they denied any penalty or reward after the earthly life. You just cease to exist. We just live our life, and at the end, it's over. Now, I don't know what you do with all of the talk in, in the Old Testament and the New. Of course, they didn't have the New. But in all of the Old Testament, that talks about living eternally with God the Father. The, you know, we have all of these promises. I just don't understand. And then finally, number four, they denied the existence of a spiritual world. Angels, demons, they don't exist. Why? Why did they believe those things? Because they were supernatural? Because they were outside the natural order? I mean, we are called to believe these things because they are true. And they are real. And I think it's interesting that one could hold the Bible so high as they did and oppose the other religious leaders over this and not believe those four things. So we just, we need to be careful. Um, I think the, the main reason that these Sadducees were more concerned uh, or, or they, they held these views was because they were more concerned about politics than they were religion. They were more concerned about getting along with other people than they were. They were unconcerned with Jesus until I think they were afraid that he might bring unwanted Roman attention. He's creating a stir. We've got to shut him up. And that, of course, is when the Sadducees and the Pharisees got together and they conspired. Even now, 
that Jesus is gone, I bet they were wondering and and questioning, well, what's going to happen to us? There's this new way that they're proclaiming and that they're talking about, what are we going to do? And and I think if they had just, if they had just believed, if they had just believed, they could have become a disciple as well and taught the people the good news about Jesus Christ. If they would just surrender their lives to Jesus, they too would experience resurrection and new life. And we know that many religious leaders did. We're told this. Now today, you and I, we need to surrender the power that we continue to hold on to. It might be a secret area of your life or mine. And we just, we just avoid it completely. We don't talk about it with our friends. We don't talk about it with our leaders. We don't, talk, we, don't, we don't look passages up in the Bible that pertain to this particular topic or subject because we just, we, just, we just want to be comfortable with it. We want to own it. We want to have it, whatever it might be. It might be a sin. It might be a, 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 something that we focus on more than we think maybe we should, but at the same time, we don't want to give it up. We need to repent We need to turn away from those things. Let's not get irked by what we learn. Um, Let's instead be humbled and let's follow. Gospel proclamation irks religious leaders. Let's read on. Look at verse 3. They, talking about the Sadducees and the temple guard, seized Peter and John. Now this this was the same day um, that, that they healed the lame man. But later in the day, and because it was evening, it says because they had religious laws, you know, that they had to follow, right? They put him in jail until the next day. So they just locked him up. So I think the, the, uh, the headline in the newspaper that next morning, or maybe if they had internet, it would be that night, it would say, Jesus followers jailed. There'd be this big article about what happened and all the details and all of that. And I think the headline sure seems to be a common theme in the days of the early church. I mean, they're proclaiming this new thing and nobody liked it. And then later, um, leaders were, were afraid, I think, that maybe Israel might rise up and get power over them or something. I know we, we read stories about how Nero used Christians to light the roads up, torched them, killed them. Um, you know, we've got coliseums that were filled with people who watched what? Not chariot races. They watched Christians get eaten by lions. All because of what they believed um, in our current world today. Think about it. What happens? What's happening in our current world to Christians? They're being beheaded overseas. Um, countries, countries are making laws that say it's illegal to, to death or imprisonment for you to even talk about Jesus Christ, to even become a Christian. Coaches can't pray with their football teams. And the suppression and effort to clear out all things Christian in our culture moves on. This is the world that the early disciples were proclaiming this truth in. And it's the same world that we live in. Because there's great opposition to the truth. This is the same world that we seek to proclaim the truth in. What 
So what was the result in the first century? Look at verse 4. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now this headline, it wouldn't be carried on all the major Israeli networks. They're not going to publish this. They're not going to promote this. You know, it might be like page 4, lower right-hand corner. But this is what it would say. Jesus' movement numbers reach 5,000. I mean, this is ama- these are amazing numbers in the first century. God, God is moving in this world. I mean, it, and it is piercing through the authorities and the dark powers that don't want this to happen. The power of the Holy Spirit is continuing to work in the hearts and minds of the people. The disciples and the people who are believing their message are, are being profoundly changed by God. I mean, a couple weeks ago, we, we looked at how they're, they're, they're willing to sacrifice their own property and their own possessions to help their friends and neighbors who are in need. Their lives are completely being transformed from what they were. The message is taking effect. People are believing and the numbers continue to grow. Now, remember, this is a culture and a time when the most powerful have a message that's contrary to what the disciples are proclaiming. That's not what they're teaching. For hundreds of years, it's not been what they were teaching. And I think that's very similar to our own. There are powerful organizations, there are powerful churches in our nation who have a contrary message to what the Bible says. And we need to align ourselves with the activities of the early Christians. And if we do, I believe it will yield changed lives. God will use you and me, who have the Holy Spirit in us. He will fill us and proclaim this good news in the lives of other people, and we will see people coming to Christ. We need to devote ourselves individually and corporately to the Bible unapologetically. It's kind of funny to say that because we call it Christian apologetics, but we need to follow the Bible faithfully, personally, individually, corporately, as a a group. We need to devote ourselves to the fellowship, working together, sharing life together, spending time with one another, serving one another, one another. That's tough in our culture today. Satan is more than happy to let you live a busy life, ignoring everybody around you, living on an island. That's exactly where he wants you because we are the weakest in that moment. But we must devote ourselves to the Bible, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And as we do, things change. The spiritual realm is activated. I mean, it's like this. When we actually live what we say we believe, the Holy Spirit moves in powerful ways. Maybe, maybe you should write that down this morning. Let me say that again. When we actually live what we say we believe, the Holy Spirit moves in powerful ways. I mean, what would happen if we actually lived out everything that we believe? And I, and I realize this is, part of a, this is part of our journey. It's part of us growing, and, and some of us are further down the road than others. That's just the reality of it, and I get that. 
And we need to be patient with one another. But we also need to be challenged by the fact that, that, that we are called to live what we say we believe. You know, all of us, I think, say one thing and do another sometimes. Or, you know, we draw odd lines. You know, we won't, won't watch these kinds of movies, but we will watch these. Or, or we won't be involved in this kind of activity, but we will this. And sometimes they're contrary. I, I understand that. We can be in, inconsistent in all of that. But our goal has to be moving in the direction of obedience and faithfulness to the Word of God and His commands. We can't make excuses for those things and just say, Ah, well, you know, I'm a sinner. Yes, we are. But we need to surrender on a daily basis. Otherwise, I think we live a lie. Have you ever seen somebody that proclaims one thing and then you, you sort of are exposed to them in another part of life, everyday life, where they act totally contrary to what they said before? Man, we got to be challenged by that. Because, I mean, essentially, they just write us off and say, well, I guess what they were saying before, that must not mean anything or must not be true for them. The, the thing, not, well, yeah, I'm going to pick on coaches. The thing that gets me is um, NFL coaches who, they wear a cross on the sideline. I've read their testimonies in sports magazines. I've heard people talk about this person who came to faith and, and how strong a believer are, they are. And they, they, I see them preaching to their teams in and, 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 and special prayer breakfasts and that sort of thing. And then on Sunday afternoon, they're standing on the sideline and I can read their lips and it is not good. And I think to myself, I mean, maybe that's hypercritical. But I just, but man, that's the national platform. Everybody is seeing that. Everybody. We need to live what we say we believe. <laughs> There's a new term in our culture. Maybe you've heard this. I read it for the first time this morning. It's called athleisure. Athleisure. And uh, uh, it's officially been adopted into the Merriam-Webster's lexicon. It actually has a definition in the dictionary. Um, And it grew 5% each year between 2009 and 2014. It's an industry that went from $54 billion to $68 billion. And and here's what it is. It's apparel. It's footwear. um, And accessories that that are... It's it's athletic wear. It's, It's exercise stuff. You know, the, the shorts and the spandex and the shoes and the socks and all of that that you, would, that you would buy to exercise with. But here's the people. Here's the thing. People in American cities are wearing this stuff and they're not exercising. Here, here's, the, here's the figure. Uh, let me see. According to the article in the New York Times, this market will probably hit $100 billion. And, and there's a strange twist. Most people are just, they're just wearing it. They're not actually working out in it. The same ar- 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 article continues. For many wearers, the athletic part of the athleisure remains aspirational. For example, sales of yoga clothes has increased 10 times as much as actual participation in yoga classes. See, it's not just in the church. It's, it's who we are as a human being. 
And, and, and I, I say that because I want us all here to recognize that, 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 that these are not judgmental statements. We are, we are all in process. We, we are all in process. But, but, man, we need to be real about who we are and what we know. Look at what happens next. Verse 5. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas... The high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this, is the question that's in the forefronts of their mind. And how come you're spreading all of these lies about the resurrection? I mean, that was another thing that they were, they're, they're pointing to. So I think the media would get wind of this, and of course the, the headline would be, Jesus' followers questioned. Jesus' followers questioned, and we too will be questioned in our everyday lives. Why do you believe that? Where does that come from? That's goofy. How could you say that? How could you believe that? That can't be real peace. You're just delusional. Those are more statements than questions, but people are going to ask us questions. How can you not be in the fetal position worried about what's happening in your life? How can you stay committed to Jesus when these bad things are happening to you? I mean, he doesn't love you after all. I just don't understand. That's where the the religious leaders were. Now, they didn't want to understand, and I hope and pray that for all of the relationships that we have outside of our families and and our church, that that we would be engaging our friends and our family members so that they they would actually be interested in what this is that we do on a Sunday morning and, and, and what God means to us and what he's done for us and those kinds of things. We're going to be asked questions, and we need to be okay with that. Now let's continue. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people. This is crazy. That Peter, this is Peter. Mr. Stick his foot in his mouth, right? He's standing before these leaders. And, and of course, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's key. And he says, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Bet that one, friends. But who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. It's all because of him. It's because of this change that's happened in the universe. And it's a real thing. Jesus has the power to resurrect. And they said, it's that same power that healed this man. Verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Here's the headline, and it's a powerful one at that. Disciple says, salvation found in Jesus only. Holy. Whoa, we got the law. We got, we got all of these things that we have to do. I can see people writing that off as fake news already. But it's not narrow-minded. It's the truth. And I'm not the one that said it. Jesus did. 
He's the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father, but what? But by me. Jesus said that. And not only did he just say that, because words are easy, he backed it up with everything that he did. And history proves that. History proves that out. It's not doing good things. It's not following the commandments. It's, it's not being religious. It's not, you know, being in church 51 weeks out of every year. It's only in total surrender and faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. Paul says it this way in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. I mean, I bet we have people in this room and all over listening online, watching on Facebook, that we're all in different places in this journey of faith. Uh, I, wanna, I want you to take out that piece that we put in all of your worship folders this morning, and I, I want you to look at it. It's entitled, Your Spiritual Journey, A Personal Guide, and I want you to open it. I'm sure you've already looked at it and read it, looked through it. Um, it, it, it essentially puts all of us and what we would believe and where we would be at concerning Jesus Christ on a timeline, and it says, um, you know, it you're not interested, which if you're sitting here this morning, I doubt you're in that category because I think you would at least need to be curiously searching in order to come to church, but maybe not. You know, maybe you're still down there on that end, but somewhere along this, this continuum, and there's other ones out there, it's, you know, all of us fit on here somewhere. And, and I want to challenge all of us to, to take this home, read through all of those things, turn to the back, and go through these questions. Where are you now on your spiritual journey? And answer it. Write it down. Where would you like to be on your spiritual journey in the next six months to a year? And, and work your way through all of these questions. And, 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 you know, maybe you get to the end of those questions and, and you're like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, searching assertively, but, gosh, I really want to take a step forward and I want to make a faith commitment. There's a... There's a, a, some would call it a plan of salvation. There's, a, there's some things to consider right there. Realizing, realize that you are not God and that you're powerless to achieve God's favor or earn him his forgiveness. Surrender, it's, it's admitting that you can't do life on your own and, and read through that. Now, um, seeing how I want you all to write on these uh, and think about this, this is a great tool to sit down with somebody at, over coffee and say, you know, I, I got this thing at church. And, you know, we talk about spiritual things sometimes. I'm just, curious, I'm just curious where you're at spiritually. Could you take a look at this and kind of tell me where you'd put yourself? Just go through it with them. Um, maybe it's just, you know, handing it to them at work sometime. The, the Holy Spirit gives you a moment where, where it's, I mean, you absolutely know this is it. This is when I'm supposed to get this out. And you share it with them. I, we have two or three more stacks of these. We bought extras. There's a stack of them on the information counter. Take a couple extras. If, you, if you're looking at this going, man, I, I've got this friend I've been praying for. This would be great. Grab it. Grab a couple of them.
Let's go on. I want to get through this. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. It's not the men. It's the Holy Spirit in the men. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Uh, I think I might, you know, they might, they might now, right moment, they might be curiously searching. Maybe. Maybe. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They thought Jesus was crazy. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. Why don't you just believe it? But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So, the religious leaders demand Jesus' followers cease and desist. Well, that's pretty long for a, for a headline, right? So let's just go with this. Cease and desist. I mean, that would catch my eye. I would read at least the first paragraph. What are they talking about? The religious leaders tried to leverage their political power on the disciples. I'm sure, well, it goes on to say that they threatened them. Threats and strong-arm tactics were employed. And they had some power in the positions that they have. They got Jesus killed, remember? (laughs) There will be people in our culture that try to get us to shut up. They will try to get us to just stop it, to cease and desist, they will threaten. And what should be our response? Well, let's see what the disciples' response was in verse 19. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. What would you guys do? Would you listen to God or would you listen to you? Probably shouldn't phrase it that way. They might go with them. I don't know. In other words, are you going to buckle? Are we going to buckle under the pressure of the powerful? When the powerful try to shut us up? So, so after, after they, they tell them this and they threaten them, the, there's a reporter in the back of the room, and I'm sure he heard what they were saying, and he runs out and he writes an article, and this is what he would call it. Followers defy the powerful. Followers defy the powerful. I don't know that we would get such a good uh, headline in our paper today. But that's what's happening. When the powerful try to shut us up or make us do things that would be contrary to what Jesus taught, are we going to follow them or are we going to defy the power and remain faithful to the word of God? Now, I'm not saying be disrespectful. I'm not saying being unloving to them. I'm not saying grab a bullhorn. I'm not saying grab them by the throat and say, forget it. Lovingly, gently, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to stay strong in what Jesus taught. You know, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. And just because it's moral doesn't mean it's legal. And we have missionaries all over the world smuggling Bibles into other countries. I'm not sure how I feel about that. They're breaking the law. But those people need the Bible. 
They need Jesus. Our country says abortion is legal. Does that make it right? Absolutely not. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Another way to state this last headline, and I'm going to close with this this morning, and maybe it's already in your home, maybe it's on your wall, maybe it's in your heart, maybe it's in your mind, um, and maybe this could be the motto of your family if it isn't already. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And may that be true for each and every one of us, whether it's for the first time or not. Now, I, I wanna, we're going to move to communion. And uh, I'm not going to call the worship team up because I want them to be a part of communion this morning. We're going to play a song and a video as we partake this morning. But um, I want to turn uh, to Matthew chapter 26. Jesus, at the Last Supper with the disciples, while they were eating, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body. This represents my broken body. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and and he offered it to them. And he says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When I come again. Jesus knew that we're forgetful people and that we need a reminder often. And he said, this is it. This bread, it represents my broken body. And when we take, we, we eat a piece of this bread, we are celebrating and we are remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And when we take this cup and when we drink it, we are again proclaiming that it was the blood of Jesus that covers the sin, that makes us pure and holy and able to enter into the presence of God. So this morning, if, if as you looked at this, and initially you said, I am either faith commitment or to the right, if that's you, celebrate with us. If it's not, that's okay, man, I am glad you are here and you're investigating and I would love to continue to have conversations with you. But you know, it, it, but there's some things there. I mean, it's, it's you're like beginning to grasp the implications of things, but you don't quite believe. And I mean, we shouldn't do things that we don't believe. So the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to they're pass out the bread and the cup. And I just want you to just thank Jesus for the sacrifice that he made for us. And, and thank him for adopting you into his family for going through that awful, awful, painful thing on our behalf for us. And, and, and then as we, as we kind of finish out, as that video is being played and you're watching and you're listening to the, especially listen to the words, there's not really a lot to look at, but especially as you're listening to the words, pray, seek the Holy Spirit to give you strength and wisdom for for someone who's in your life who you could bear witness to the gospel. And, and we could see them. And, and, and we could see numbers of people being saved. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you that 
that you call us. And I pray that as we respond in faith to you and as we surrender our life to you, that we would recognize that we have been saved. And Father, I pray that, that maybe there's somebody here this morning who, who has believed for the first time. They've surrendered their life. They, they believe that you were God, that you rose a, from the dead, that, that you sacrificed yourself on their behalf, Father. Maybe they partake for the very first time this morning. Thank you again for what you're teaching us and we celebrate. Thank you for that sacrifice in Jesus' name. Amen. Just about the manger where the baby lay. It's not all about the angels who sing for him that day. It's not all about the shepherds on the bright and shining star. It's not all about the wise men who traveled from afar. It's about the cross, it's about my sin, it's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. It's about the stone that was rolled away so that you and I could have real life someday. It's about the about the good things in this life I've done. It's not all about the treasures or the trophies that I've won. It's not about the righteousness that I find within. It's all about His precious blood that saved me
Just stand with me. I want us to leave as I want us to leave in these words. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this you and all the people of Israel, and all the people of America, and all the people of Goshen County, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, who has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. May that be as real for you today as it ever has, and may it be real for one of your friends and mine soon. God bless. Have a great week. We'll see you next week as we go on in Acts. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of 